We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. And again, we're welcoming back one of our friends, Heather Arnold, who has been on the show before. You can check out the uh, prior show called Island of the Giants, which uh, is a great account of her work on... Uh, uh, Bonaire and Aruba, and uh, there's a third island in there as well, uh, and uh, beyond on uh, the archaeological, anthropological evidence of giants in those islands, including some historical uh, legend. And uh, and by legend, I don't mean like legendary, I mean actual written documents. Um, but check out that show to hear that. Also, you probably have heard from Heather in other places and referenced by other guests because she's also associated and affiliated with the uh, the Film Anthropology Conference that I'm also affiliated with. She's actually a fact-based speaker, a subject matter expert, where I'm just sort of a talking head, um, if that. But uh, we're happy to have Heather come back again. She's going to talk about some of her new discoveries. She's uh, been working in New England, in the Southwest. She's, got, she's, of course, in the island. She's been in South America. She's been in Mexico. She's been rubbing shoulders with Gregory Little. She's been photographed with Graham Hancock. She's, she's like, a, like a celebrity here. So, Heather, thank you for coming back into the show. How are you today? 
Oh, great, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on your show. I always enjoy it. Great. Terrific. Well, thank you for that. So, yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Any of the people who did listen to the first show, they'll go back now and they certainly will. But just in case they're lazy and they don't or they did and they're, they don't want to listen the second time, let's give them a, a brief 101 on who's Heather Arnold and what do you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started to research the Giants when I first lived in Aruba in 2005. I owned a tour company, and my quest was to have historically accurate tours, which turned out to be much more difficult than I had anticipated because the history, particularly the ancient history of the of Aruba um, Bonaire and Curacao, which are called the ABC Islands, they're all run parallel to each other, um, was rather cloudy and um, and didn't quite make sense. Uh, the history that the children, for example, were being taught in school was that the islands were called the useless islands. And the reason why is because when the explorers came over, particularly Vespucci in 1499, that they discovered that there was nothing that could grow on the islands, there was no livestock, there was no uh, treasure to plunder. And so that they just simply disregarded the islands as useless and that's the way they stood for a very long time. But that didn't quite sit well with me, nor make any sense, simply because there's gold, for example, in Aruba. Aruba is rich with gold. To this day, there is still gold on the island. Um, Aruba and Bonaire and Curaçao also had an enormous amount of what is called uh, Brazil wood trees. And the Brazil wood, it was at, particularly at the time that Vespucci was here, was quite prized because it floats. So you can make canoes, you can make bows for instruments such as violins, and the um, the wood you can with the wood you can make it a very deep uh, purplish dye that the royalty in Europe at that time um, in the 1400s or 1500s were prized this purple color. Uh, it was actually reserved for royalty. So I began to dig deeper and came across uh, a talk that an archaeologist from Aruba was doing, saying that, you know, talking about the 500-year history of Aruba, and it was some sort of celebration that they were having on the island at the time, and he was very um, angry that why are we saying it's a 500 year celebration just because Vespucci was here when you know we have been around for thousands of years and I actually agreed with him of course but then he started to go off on a tangent and uh, saying you know then there were never any giants in Aruba and don't listen to anyone that says there were giants and when you when Vespucci says there were giants he was just trying to sell books which is weird because Vespucci wasn't in the book business. <laughs> so I just began to research it further, and I went back to Vespucci's own words in his letters to the New World that he wrote um, after his second voyage to the New World, which the New World being the Western Hemisphere, and he wrote about landing in Aruba. And he talks about an instance where, and this is his first-hand account, where he felt he was going to die. He felt, and was, threatened by the giants who lived in Aruba. He, um, he was originally going to steal some of one of the, two of the teenage girls whom he found, uh, who were 
uh, enormous and, and much larger than the men. Uh, and the adults were even larger than these two girls. And when their plans were thwarted, uh, when the 36 men came back from presumably a hunting trip with these enormous weapons that he had never even seen before, but he couldn't, didn't even think he could lift, they immediately um, dashed back to the ship and were followed the full way by the giants. And even the giants continued in the water as the men boarded the ship and were shooting arrows and, and other weaponry at the ship to the point where Vespucci had to fire off a cannon to scare the giants back to the land, which that's indeed what happened. And in Vespucci's own words, he said, and, and mind you, he had just come from an island where he saw a human being on a spit roast being cooked and eaten by cannibals. And he said, that day that we saw the giants, I truly thought I was going to die. And he was that terrified. And he said, after that, from this point forward, I named these islands the islands of the giants. And so uh, I found the map that was made, the first map of the New World by Juan de la Cosa that was printed in 1501, 1502. It's a little cloudy. but um, And there you see in exactly the spot where Aruba is today. It's called the Islands uh, of the Giants. And from that point forward, I went down into a deep dive and looked simply at the archaeological evidence. So I have acquired, except for one, I have every single archaeological report ever written of the giant remains found on this island, Bonaire, and Curaçao. Now, Aruba um, has a, a ton of archaeological remains um, still in existence, still even buried here to this day, just due to the fact that it's an arid land and there's not much farming that goes on. So the land was not quite disturbed. There was also very little influx of, for example, slaves on the, on the land because there wasn't any farming to be done. Whereas Curaçao is um, much more lush as well as Bonaire, but Bonaire also has salt mines. So there was a lot more influx of different um, people coming onto the island and a lot more disturbing of land. So Aruba is very rich in its archeological record and a lot of archeological, um, whether they be um, independent researchers or tied to universities, there a lot of archeological digs have occurred here. And I read all of the first-hand accounts from these archeologists, as well as field reports from religious um, people who were here trying to convert the people of the Caribbean, and they have in their hands, they had giant skulls, giant femurs, saw giant burials. They have the um, the measurements of these skulls, the largest one actually being found in a cave in, uh, in Curaçao that was, uh, the skull was um, over two feet long. Uh, and also these skulls were elongated. They Definitely all in the reports say that these were giants. There's actually a whole archaeological report that is the quest for the giants. And the determination is, was that these were giant people, that Vespucci definitely made contact with giants. Um, so it was from that moment forward that I continue to try to tell the story of the true history of these islands, um, just simply because, for example, my daughter is a Reuben, so for her to know her rich cultural heritage that goes back thousands of years. So right now, the oldest cemetery on the island of Aruba is at least 7,000 years old. My 
belief is that it's probably quite older. So um, I think it's important for people to know about the giants, not just the people of Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao, but also the people of the world. This is part of our human story. And when you research giants, and giants are found everywhere. They're not just found uh, here. They're found in North America, South America, Europe. Um, there are reports of giants in China and even larger than, so the giants here are purported to be eight feet, nine feet tall, not just tall, but big, wide. Their bones are different. They're thicker. Uh, their skulls, as I said, are elongated, but there are reports and I, I, I have not checked the archaeological record to determine if they're true just because I'm, I'm more focused in the Caribbean, but there are reports of giants in, in China that are, you know, 18 feet tall and even in, in Europe, even very tall giants, in, in, you know, in the tens. So, um, yeah, so this began this this total uh, this consuming nature of the giants in my life and and then since now researching the giants now I've discovered they're megaliths so because that's a key point with the giants you usually see megaliths so this has been the trajectory of my research and um, I, and I continue it uh, to this day even as uh, early as this morning on a hike to see some megaliths, actually. Okay, I think that's a great place to pause. I mean, one, I guess if you're a giant, a megalith is just a lith, right? It's a, it's not mega to a giant. Uh, it's like when you go when you go to China and you ask for Chinese food, you you, you ask for food. You don't ask for Chinese food. So, Good point. Uh, um, but it's, it's the second time this week I made the same joke on this show, but the, since these air episodes probably won't air back to back, it, 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 it won't be an issue. Uh, I hope not. Anyway, um, and if it's a good joke, they'll like it. And if it's not, they'll yeah, hate it twice. Good. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I, I think it's important to note that, that when we talk about giants, at least in this context, you're talking eight or nine feet, which is, I mean, listen, that that's an enormous person. Um, but... You know, there are people that are close to that height now. Most of them, it, it doesn't do them well. Um, but, you know, we, we all know seven footers in the NBA and, and six foot ten people in sports and whatever. And and it's it's not like Jack and the Beanstalk so fantastical. Couple that with the facts of the archaeological fact that there's two variants of Homo sapiens confirm there's probably more that we haven't found uh meaning the scientific community uh, society whatever in in the south pacific of two different what they're calling like hobbit people basically people who are about about three three and a half feet tall humans just smaller homo florensis i think it's called one because the island apparently is called florens or flores uh and and another from you know, one's in the Philippines, one's in Indonesia. I wouldn't be surprised if there were others uh, on, on other islands and probably other places too. So if there's people that are basically, you know, two-thirds to half our size, why not people that are a third larger as well, as long as there was food to support them? The one question I have for you in your presentation, I'm sure the answer is yes, um, is that these skulls and these and the bones are, were they confirmed as being human or humanoid and, and not ape? I mean, I'm, I'm, I assume that this, this can be done just by, not just by shape, but also by dental records and the shape of, of jaws and teeth. I, I mean, I believe that apes have much larger, what we call canine teeth than, than humans do in their different place and the shape is different. So 
it, it, I mean, are, are my assumptions correct that we're not getting the femurs of like a mastodon or something or a woolly rhinoceros or a, an orangutan and calling it a, a human? I'm not even sure those kinds of animals ever lived in, on, on these islands or if they were always islands, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's a great point because that's an, uh, a very common um, discounting tool by the quote-unquote experts, um, particularly in North America. They'll say, oh, it's a mastodon or it was a fossil or it's a, you know some sort of saber-toothed tiger. Um, so the beauty of being down in the Caribbean where I am is um, when I'm hugging the equator. I'm about 16 degrees north of the equator, which takes out two of their famous, most fabulous, most wonderful rebuttals. Uh, number one is that every megalith is a glacial erratic, so there were no glaciers here. And the other is uh, that it is a giant fossilized mastodon bone or um, maybe a, a, a skull from a long extinct um, branch of Homo. But no, there's not, none of those are here. So basically what you're finding are bones that are the bones that they are. There were no mastodons, mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, um, any type of large dinosaur, prehistoric dinosaur remains ever found. The, there are fossilized shells, fossilized sea creatures, even fossilized vegetation that's found in Aruba. Um, the largest monkeys that have been found are macaques, and they were in burials with humans. Wow. So... Um, there are not any uh, reports ever of any dinosaur bones ever being found in Aruba, Bonaire, and Curaçao. So uh, it's very easy to rule them out when see, finding these skeletal remains. And interestingly, particularly in Aruba, due to the fact that there was very little um, uh, d destruction of the land, um, that these skeletal remains are intact. So you can see the full skeletal remains. Now, removing them from the ground has been a very difficult um, issue because they are disintegrating because of their great antiquity. So most of the time, you're only left with the skull. So there are skulls that have been researched. There's been a hand. There's been a femur. Um, but most of the times, they completely disintegrate uh, upon extraction from the earth. So, the, But the skulls are, although they look very strange because they have enormous eye sockets they have elongated skulls the skulls are thicker they usually have full sets of shovel shaped incisors which are very specific to archaic humans they are definitely humans so it's not been ruled out that they are anything but human and because of their intact burials for the most part um, that's never been an issue that anyone could use to refute these these claims of the giants. As a matter of fact, um, up until very recently, there were two giant skulls on display at the Curacao Museum that were uncovered by Christopher Angles. And he was an independent researcher who read Vespucci's reports, went to the largest prehistoric cemetery in this part of the Caribbean uh, that's not far from where I'm now. And he uncovered two skeletal remains. Upon extraction, he fell into that same trap of these bones just disintegrating. And but was able to get these two skulls and he 
transported these two skulls to Curacao and had the head of the Tropic Museum in Amsterdam fly to Curacao to actually examine the skulls. And she did a full um, anthropological, archaeological report on the skulls, and it can you can even find it. It's called The Quest for the Giants. She writes it in um, in Dutch, her assistant is French, so her assistant's writing in Dutch and French. But nonetheless, what it's saying is essentially that these were giants. She's never encountered any human skeletal remains as large as these. One of the skulls actually had its hand fused to the face because of in burial, the way it was buried. Oftentimes, the hands would be hugging one side of the face as the skeletons were generally in the fetal position. And... Um, um, so the hand was still intact and fused to the face, and it was the largest hand of a human she had ever examined in her life. And she could only compare the skeletal remains to the tallest people at that point, um, which was in 1972, that she was aware of. And that was a, um, a race of Native Americans found in Florida who were about seven feet tall at that time, six to seven feet tall. But she claimed in her archaeological report, and she had firsthand knowledge, that these were these people were taller than that right. um, and she def she concluded by saying these were giant people uh, her next step was going to be DNA extraction from the teeth because these skeletons uh, these skulls both had all of their teeth intact and sadly trying to grab all the groceries in one trip oof not how you would have done that you know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Parents call it three floors of awesomeness and a must-go if you have kids. It's Baltimore's Port Discovery Children's Museum. The interactive museum where kids can climb, slide, explore, and learn along the way. Where you can watch your kids or grandkids play or join in. To learn more about Three Floors of Awesome Family Fun for kids from infants to age 10, visit portdiscovery.org. When she was flying to South America to do more research, uh, her plane crashed and she died. And that was the last that we hear of these skulls and these uh, and, and and any type of research being done. And, and since then, I have tried to track these skulls down at the Curacao Museum and they are missing. They are gone. Um, the last report of them being in the museum was in 1980. It was in the Reading Eagle. A journalist went to the museum in Curacao and actually saw the skulls and wrote an entire report uh, of them, of her, her trip to Curacao and to the museum. And she writes, these were giant skeletons. These were gi skulls of the giants, an ancient race of people who used to live on the island. This was posted in, Ren uh, Ren this was printed in Reading, Pennsylvania. And um, since then, the skulls have gone missing. So it's believed that they are in Leiden University. I've been actively trying to repatriate them to Aruba, which is where they belong. But first, we have to find them. So that is one of the major goals I have while I'm here is trying to track down those two skulls. Huh. There's some interesting things there. One not so interesting, but one for me. I was just in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, two, 
I think that you need to find that plane. You need to get funding for like one of those Netflix series, a la Grandma Hancock, and someone needs to find that plane and do this uh, Lara Croft Uncharted kind of uh, Indiana Jones, uh, you know, mission to find that, that, that plane. This can be like a Holy Grail type of thing. Three, for the last 15 minutes, I have been hung up on probably the least important thing that you've mentioned the entire time, and it's going to kill me if I don't ask about it. And and I feel that you and the show deserves my full attention on the important stuff. So I need to get this out of this way. The macaques, are they native to uh, to these yes, islands? No, this is a, uh, that's actually one of the most important things because that's a new development. So um, this is very strange. So um, I'm friends with the head of archaeology at the Archaeology Museum here in Aruba. By the way, its sister museum is the Smithsonian. Uh -huh. So just to frame that. So um, I had him over for dinner at my home, and this was, I believe, in 2019. And um, he had just received an email of great importance from the University of Leiden on the conclusion of the species of skeletal remains that he had found within a burial that was very off the beaten path in a cave that is nearly inaccessible. As a matter of fact, I know where the cave is. There's no way you can get to it unless you have ropes and, and a whole contraption. So I haven't been there yet. And in that cave was a, a female. Um, she had red okra on her skull, which is another component of the giants that in these burials, they had red okra on the elongated part of their skull. There was a, another female skull with her that seemed to be younger, maybe her daughter. And and they received a royal burial, and with them was a macaque. And the macaque received a royal burial, the same type of elite burial with grave gifts um, that the two females did. Now, there have been other burials since that. Uh, and by the way, it was determined this was a macaque. So the, the skeletal remains, it was a macaque. So then... Um, uh, other burials have been found where they've, particularly one in the southern part of the island, where again they found these bones. At first, they think it's a baby or a fetus. Um, and then they do this investigating, they realize it's a macaque, and it's these macaques are given these elite burials. Since then, I've had some interesting things occur. Okay, so there's a stone not far from here that's called monkey rock, and it looks exactly like a, a monkey, though, like as if it's been carved into the face of a monkey. There are no macaques on Aruba that we know of. I didn't think but so. We, I met a where, gentleman. Where, where, where are they? Where are macaques native to? They're in South America okay. and Central America too, some parts of it, but mostly South America. So we are 16 miles off the coast of Venezuela. So it's very possible there was trading going on. However, um, I, a couple of weeks ago, um, a local um, asked to meet with me because he wanted to show me several, of, I mean, a trove of artifacts, which I won't. Um, publish or say anything about because it's his private collection and I don't want him to be inundated but let's just say it was incredible what I saw and I said you know there were monkeys here and he said of course there's a hill right by my house it's called Cerro Macaque which means Macaque Hill it's where they had the monkeys the monkeys lived in Aruba and, and so I thought oh my gosh so now the, the puzzle gets even more complicated right because now we have this and 
ancestral knowledge that there was a, a, a hill where monkeys were living. And um, this now, were they native? Were they breeding there? Were they, was it some sort of breeding operation? Um, the only people that we found with macaques in these ancient burials were these elites. So these were the giants. So they were the ones that were being buried with these macaques. So was it their own private little breeding ground for the macaques? And and why were the macaques given an elite burial? That's the other part of the story. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, I mean, first of all, macaques. If I'm not incorrect, they're sort they're sort of larger monkeys, and they're the ones that make those whoopy noises. That whenever anyone wants to make a monkey noise, it's sort of the macaque. It's the that's a macaque they sort of so we're so here's my working theory that i've just come up with now okay so the macaques were the pets of the royalty but sort of like in egypt they were they were the guards they were the guards of the the children because they howl they're like howling monkeys if there was any sort of danger so they would be a cherished pet and monkeys are fairly intelligent uh, in the animal kingdom. So you could be part of the family. And so they got the Royal uh, burial with, with the Royal family. And because they're from South America and we have, you know, Paracas man, the sort of the same type of skull, maybe these giants migrated from South America with their prize, you know, pets who, you know, of course also mated and procreated uh, along with the giants and, you know, just the, the elites brought their elite stuff, just like, uh, you know, uh, Egyptians might have brought the, you know, the black cat and, and the, what are they call the Salukis, the, the dogs that don't bark. Um, so uh, there's my working theory right there, which is based on nothing except anecdote. But hey, this is this is this is what podcasters can do and, and real researchers uh, can't do until they have some facts to support it. But that, that's what the, that's my little myth that I've just created. And also, an, another key point is uh, this was a matriarchal society. The the giants were matriarchal, and so we know that from the burials. We know that from the stones, um, the megaliths, the cup marks, the pregnant stones. We know that from the birthing chamber. Um, at for example, in the largest cemetery, the w- most prominent and complicated burial is of a female, a uh, solitary female who was lived a very long time, which means she got tremendous care and the best of everything. And, um, and she was the oldest person in that burial. And so um, if you are a shaman, for example, and a female shaman, you have to be chased and only certain people can be around you. And it's um, very possible that these macaques were actually functioning as helpers. Now, I've been to India and I've seen on temples, particularly in Kujaraho, you will see the Devadasis who were very prized within the temple. They could be around no one else but the priest. No one could help them. No, you couldn't have anyone outside interacting with a Devadasi because anyone would take away their power. And so they had monkeys. So if you look at Kujaraho and you see the women putting painting Mendi on their feet and on their hands, they have the monkeys holding the makeup trays or the monkeys holding the brushes. So it's very possible that these, and the fact that these monkeys are being found with women, um, it's very possible that these monkeys were functioning as actual intelligent helpers because they were the only ones that could be around these women to, for the, in order for the women to maintain their power. Instead of eunuchs, they had trained monkeys. Exactly. That's exactly. So, um, I had, you know, right before I left New York, 
uh, I thank goodness I got, I think it was published by Yale, believe it or not. It's in archaeoprimatology. So it's basically covering all of the places on Earth where there are monkey burials with humans, where there shouldn't be monkey burials with humans. And there's a whole section on the Caribbean. And this has happened in, in a couple of different places. But what's interesting about it happening in Aruba, it's also been found in Curacao, and it's also been found in Bonaire, is that there were no reports ever of monkeys being native to these lands, whereas the other islands, there are reports of monkeys being native to those lands so this is another interesting mystery and it certainly begs the question if the monkeys weren't indigenous to these islands they definitely was some sort of trading going on right. hey i need to i need to find someone who was part of that that study because i need i need that person on the show i need i need to have a show that i can legitimately entitle monkey burials where there's no monkeys or where there's not I supposed to monkey. to the head of archaeology he's the one the head of archaeology here in aruba he is published in that in the Oh. And I can speak because we have talked about doing podcasts together for quite some time. So I can speak to him and I think it would be a fascinating show. Oh, I would love it. I would really appreciate that. And then listen, he can practice on my show and then he can be better on yours. Um, <laughs> that's what I would, yes, I, I just, I need monkey burials in my life all the time. Yeah, sudden. it's very cool. It's a very cool turn of events and, and it's, it's new information. It's brand new information. Yes, this is what I love doing about the show. Every time I think I've, I've, you know, rounded the corner and sort of come come to the end of, of knowledge, I realize that I've just uh, entered another hall of mirrors. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like an onion, and you know, and then once we, with these monkey burials, it's so strange because, um, you know, when I first came to Aruba in two thousand five. I, I got in the cab from the airport and I said to the cab driver, are there monkeys here? And it was so odd because first of all, why would I even ask this? And secondly, why would I ask the cab driver? And I mean, I should just be focused on me to the beach. Right. And he started laughing at me, you know, and then I thought, oh, okay, that was a dumb question, you know, stupid girl from New York. And then I, it turns out there were monkeys here. So uh, it took me a long time to be vindicated, almost 20 years. But now we know that there were monkeys in Aruba and Bonaire and Curacao. And again, it's always these elite burials. The monkeys are given an elite burial and they're found with females. So um, it could very much tie into shamanism. Excellent. Well, all right. I, I like that. And it's interesting because uh, I, I've gotten a lot smarter since last we spoke on a show. Uh, and I have learned that when the when humans were more hunter-gatherer, that societies were typically, uh, at least in the, you know, throughout Eurasia, uh, matriarchal i you know i haven't gone further than that I, I i'm not saying that they weren't in other places or that they were i've got no idea um but uh, it's sort of when we started domesticating things and especially started going to agriculture that things started starting to turn uh and i think there's a pretty good case to be made that right around there is when things started to turn for the worse so <laughs> I, I, agree. I agree with that statement and it's interesting too that the 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 ancient people of the islands were not eating the monkeys so because there are cultures that do use the monkeys for food right. so it shows that even though we're, we're on a desert island there was clearly an abundance of, of food options. And that's actually also intriguing to me, enough, enough so that they could actually have a pet, you know, sucking off of their food. So um, it, it definitely shows an abundance of, of uh, food. And that's an, another interesting aspect um, that 
can, I can, I'm also planning on doing an extensive amount of research on. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess they would, fish is the obvious thing. Seafood would right. be, uh, you know, one of the obvious things, but you can't live on, on fish and seafood. You need, you know, exactly. vegetables and fruit and things like that. So I guess it'd either have to be some sort of trade or something was right. able to grow. Um, right. you know, I, I know that the, the, well, I don't know, but, but, from what I know, the legend of Easter Island was that it actually had lots of trees and vegetation on it and that the, the folks there, you know, systematically sort of cut it all down to, you know, build all the statues and whatever. And, and Well, I, I think that's been disproven recently, maybe. very recently, that there were never any trees on the island. So, um, you know, I've been to Easter Island and I traveled with an archaeologist. I had a private tour. I, I just did a tour with this archaeologist for a week. And uh, there, he told, he was the first to tell me, you know, there were no, never trees on Easter Island. And now uh, geological evidence has proven that there were never trees. on. And, and if there were, there were, were never enough trees to do what they said. So in terms of rolling, and if you see these moai, um, for example, his family was, uh, they were, he comes from a family of archaeologists. His mother and father were both head of uh, archaeology in the University of Santiago, Chile. And what, they were responsible for lifting up the moai mm -hmm. that had been toppled by a tsunami. And the moai was so heavy that they had to commission a, a bunch of Japanese engineers in Japan to invent technology, these massive machines that have never been on planet Earth before, they brought them over in container ships, assembled the machines, um, the, the equipment in Rapa Nui, and lifted these moai to put them on the apu, which is the uh, ahu, which is the, the platform, because they were so heavy, and to put them, and you have to position them in just the right way so that they don't topple over again, and um, it was a, a mega feat that they had to do. So to think that they were rolled on logs after you find, you actually see them with your eyes and realize and hear this story that's a hundred percent true. Um, it's it's baffling that they the archaeologists even came up with such a, a concocted story. And um, and then when I asked the archaeologist, I think he's an archaeologist. I said, "How do you think the moai got on the platform in the beginning?" You know, and he said, "Well, they walked." No, very matter-of-factly, matter they walked. He said they were they somehow had life, and they walked. Gollum. I mean, and this is his, his you know, he said it, you know, matter-of-factly, as if it was, I mean, on the island of, of Easter Island, it's common knowledge that they walked. I mean, that is what they believe, and, and that's what they'll tell you. And even someone who studied archaeology, had his PhD, he says, and he's an islander, and he said, no, they walked. So... Oh. Um, you know, I think we have to start listening to when, when people say these things instead of like, you know, archaeologists and other experts have trained us to, to kind of look at things in black and white. But there's obviously an esoteric principle encompassed in all this that we keep forgetting about, you know, and as Graham says, it's, it's an amnesia. And I really feel that that's the case. And I don't even think it's just an amnesia. I think it's a systematic degradation of thinking outside the box is real and how you're attacked to do so. And you're, then you have to go kind of just be thinking in a, in, in a very straight linear pattern and, and that just doesn't work. And it just, it doesn't explain everything. Right. Um, well, it's, well, it's time for everyone's favorite segment in the show, which I just invented, which is three, three, three points with Jeff. And point, point one is 
I'm glad that we uh, disavowed or corrected the misnomer of that there were never that there there were trees on Easter Island and they were basically systematically defoliated by the I think the Rapanui is is the name of the folks that, that are indigenous there. Uh, so that's good because because if I knew it, it has to be pretty well known. Um, secondly, the it, you know it, it sounds interesting when when someone says that they just walk there. Uh, and there's probably a lot of people scoffing at that, but you know, if if those people belong to an Abrahamic religion, they will remember that Adam was made of dirt. Um, you know, and you know, and also if you are, you know, Jewish, you know the golem, which was made of clay. If you are a pagan and subscribe to the Northern European religions, I mean, Volten, Woden, Odin, whatever. People made of of driftwood and sand. Uh, there's religions all over the world. The origin story is people made of clay and dirt. So there there is something to this, you know, uh, rock to man, man to rock. I mean, there there are myths from around the world where either trolls or dwarves in sunlight turn back to stone, out of the earth, into the earth, back to the earth. So whether it's you know. You know, maybe not everything's a metaphor and allegory. So, and then the third part of the, of three segments with Jeff is, you know, this thing in Japan, this project in Japan, somebody's been waiting for decades to green light this thing, to get budgeting, to do this thing. Cause you know that they are worried about Kaiju. I mean, they're worried about Godzilla. They're worried about Rodan. They're worried about Ganner and Mothra. And they needed this thing to deal with it anyway. And they're like, yeah, the, these guys are going to pay for it so that we can we can lift the statues. But you know, we really need it one day for when the monsters come. So you know, someone else will pay for the Alexa. Yeah. So it was it was definitely it was definitely dual purposes. Is they've been they've been biding their time waiting for the right project. So absolutely, it, they just changed the name from the the the, the kaiju entrapment uh, system to um, you know. Uh, some sort of archaeological rescue the Easter Island uh, Moai uh, mission. And that ends three things with Jeff, and and, uh, hopefully Jeff is out of energy for a while. Well, that was very good, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm I'm expecting the awards, Golden Globes or something. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess we can continue on. And this is probably about as good a time as I had to say, all the things that you've been doing in the last two years or whatever, and all the different places you've gone and all the different things you've experienced and how you sort of taken it to the next level. Uh, I mean, everyone's heard that you know, you've been to India, you've been here, you've been there, you've been, you've been to South America, you've been to Chile, um, you've been to Easter Island, uh, but you know, you, you've been everywhere. But then you've been, you know, really rubbing shoulders with the who's who in the, you know, research, uh, anthropological archaeological society even the you know the always sort of a high name graham hancock but now the 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 bell or anti-bell of the ball you know because of the netflix series uh but you know uh, you and graham are are you know acquainted Uh, i don't know how well acquainted but you know seen pictures of the two of you recently and you've been You've been in North America, you've been South America, here, there, everywhere. So tell tell everyone what, what you've been doing and what you're pursuing and what your what your findings have been. Um, sure, yeah. So I recently moved full time to the Caribbean. So I'm living now in Aruba. I moved from New York. Sounds terrible. And so the share it with a friend deal. 
even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. I'm sorry? That sounds terrible, so sad. (laughs) I know, been such a wonderful 2023 thus far and thank god so i've been um really focused on my research and it's been amazing since i came here on um, november 29th it's been non-stop research i've been um shown uh several artifacts in a private collection that are just absolutely mind-boggling to say the least i mean definitely show an advanced knowledge um, a level of technology, perhaps, that's been lost. Um, inexplicable things that I, you can't even, I can't even explain. I, I mean, you're just baffled when you see them. Um, I've been uh, researching these megalithic sites. Today, I just went to three megalithic sites that are totally off the beaten path um, on private property. And a lot of the things I've been, excuse me, shown have been on private property. So um, I've been shown dolmen, uh, massive megaliths, balance stones, uh, it's petroglyphs that are offsite. Excuse me. Sure. Um, excuse me. Uh, <coughs> all these amazing, um, amazing stonework, stone walls, and um, it's been incredible. It's been. It's. I'm so happy that I'm able to be here. And this is the type of, these are part of the reasons why I came here, because I want to be researching full-time every day as much as possible. And I want to continue my writing here, so I will be launching a sub-stack where I'll be writing short-form, almost blogs, that each one will continue uh, on each day, so... When you when I end one, you'll want to see what what I'm going to write about next. With photos, it will have photos and charts and maps and everything that I uh, can possibly put in there to support what I'm writing about and make it interesting. And I like the idea of short form writing because I think people have a little bit of a lack of attention span. So it'll be really fun to write and fun to hear what people think about it as well. They'll be a comment section so i'm i'm waiting for that so um, i'm always busy on social media right. put up your and dukes be, i'm sorry put up your dukes get ready excuse me oh yeah i've been dealing with that since since go you can't talk about the giants without uh, being attacked full throttle at every step of the way so but i'm used to it it's it's okay i have the evidence to back me up so i'm not um I'm not threatened or worried about it in any sense. I've actually found a lot of uh, megalithic alignments with the summer solstice sunrise, summer solstice sunset, um, 
Also, I'll be here for all the equinoxes, and so I found a lot of in in interesting alignments with them as well, and I really look forward to doing that. I took a lot of amazing measurements today with this dolmen that, I mean, this place blew my mind, what I saw today, and this is the type of thing that I, I want to keep doing for at least the next four years. In a couple of months, I'll be going to Bonaire, and Bonaire is just one of the coolest places. It's actually also the place where you can see a giant skeleton. And, and I'm hoping that that giant skeleton is still on display. The last time I saw it was in 2019. It's in a private collection. So I'm a little worried about it, but I'm hoping that it's still on display. And that will be one of the quests that I'm um, focusing on, as well as going to Curacao to a cave system there to see um, uh, the petroglyphs, as well as where the largest skull has been on Earth, which is in one of these caves. So, um, yeah, I'll have a busy couple of years ahead of me at this point, which is great and exciting. Well, I have a suggestion for a side hustle, which can also lead you to help to secure yourself and other other discoveries, and that is to train macaques for guard duty. And that way right. it can protect, they can protect you, they can protect you, they can protect this private collection. Yeah. And, and they could be a, a very loyal security force. And, uh, I would love it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that you are just the person. I mean, you, you have, uh, your, your daughter sort of, a, you're, you're getting her into the family business as well. So, I mean, you know, that oh, could be, that could be a project for her to head up to, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, monkeys of, with special forces training and stuff like that. Uh, oh, she's, she, if my daughter heard this, she'd be starting to do research about where we're going to buy a macaque or where we're going to go to buy, to, uh, Rent a macaque. Oh, yeah. No, she's a big fan of the show. She's definitely going to hear this. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, so I don't want to. I don't even want to bring it up. Sean, right now I'm battling whether or not to get a dog, so we're at that stage. So. Oh, you may want to give it on the dog. I think the macaques are more expensive. But anyway, I right, digress. Right, right. Big commitment. Yeah. <laughs> I digress, which is what I do. So yeah, okay. So we've we've got the island stuff. I know that you um, and I am jumping around a little bit, but I'm I'm really fascinated that I know that you went into uh, yeah. You're from New York. I know you've done a work a lot of work in New England, uh, but you also spent some time in the Southwest. So I don't know, you know, which you want to cover first. Uh, I'm I'm always sort of fat, more fascinated about the Southwest, probably because I'm from the Northeast, so I'm fascinated about the place I'm not from uh, more so. Uh, but whichever you think is more interesting to start with is fine because, you know, the audience is from everywhere. Yeah, so I in October, I went to the Southwest. Um, I started in Santa Fe, and then I went north. And I got to see a Chacoan outlier, which was really interesting, called Salmon Ruins. And it's far outside Farmington, New Mexico. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's really quite interesting because it's done in the Chaco Canyon. That the When I say Chacoan, I mean the people of Chaco Canyon. It's done in that sort of um, archaeological form, you know, the same building and the same mortar and there are alignments with the solstices and the equinox with some of the buildings and the kivas and one of the rooms that was uncovered was a like a breeding room for um a macaw pa parrots so just to even um further go into this whole concept of animals and humans uh because the people of chaco were the only ones who were able to breed macaws in captivity. And this is what actually brought them to um, such tremendous pro um, prominence within the ancient world because of their ability. 
And it looks like it was almost like a laboratory to try to figure out <clears throat> what were the best con conditions to raise these macaws in because they had a lot of burials of these macaws and they were buried in a very proper manner. I mean, they weren't just discarded. It wasn't just a pile of bones. <clears throat> they were actually in little specific burials, which was one of the more fascinating components of the salmon ruins. Aside from its location and how the kivas were just spectacular, they were, uh, some of the paint was even still on the walls. So if you're ever in the Farmington area, I definitely recommend going there. It's a beautiful museum that's attached to it with tons of pottery and one of the best museums. I was surprised um, at how, um, you know, um, just how advanced it was for just, just a place that is really in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was a great jumping off point to Monument Valley. And one of the places that we visited was Mystery Valley. And Mystery Valley is on Navajo land and it's sacred to the Navajo. So you can only go with a Navajo guide on a private tour. And that was really exciting because we got to see such ancient sites. We got to climb into cliff dwellings where there was still um, buildings within the cliff dwellings, uh, little kivas and um, What's a, kiva? a lot of... Oh, so a kiva is usually a, a round, circular um, enclosure. Um, sometimes it is within the earth. And in this case, there were kivas within these um, cliff dwellings. And you'll see both of those patterns. And it was a religious, a place of, uh, of religious um, activity. So it's like an so, indoor henge almost. Yeah, in, in a sense, um, it was also... Um, a place where people would, um, it would be very sacred. It's a very sacred space. Right. So, a round room is often, in, you know, right. it was sacred. And yeah. you can see some places where there was still have been ancient fires. There are certain windows. For example, kivas um, usually align, not usually, but in some cases align with celestial events, such as the Casa Rinconada Kiva in Chaco Canyon aligns with the summer solstice sunrise and has a light event that occurs with the windows that are there. So there's, um, but the most interesting, I find them all interesting, but the most interesting to me are the ones that are in these cliff dwellings because it's such a ordeal to bring these stones oh, yeah. up, you know, hundreds of feet on ladders, you're presuming. Um, you could still see some of the intact ladders. There were drawings. I mean, the, the drawings, uh, the petroglyphs, the, which is really, I believe, rock writing is just phenomenal and so pristine because the site is so off limits. So um, it was an amazing time to see and, and experience to see these uh, sites that really were untouched. And, um, and that was quite a, a, an interesting component of the trip because oftentimes, Particularly if you go to Bandelier National Monument and see these cliff dwellings, they're usually empty, there's nothing inside, or they've been pillaged, or they've been left to ruin. Um, but these were intact, and, and uh, to see the amount of stonework that was actually in these, these cliff dwellings, okay, you do have Mesa Verde, which is very ornate and pretty much intact but this is um these were different the types of stones but the same type of architecture because they're pretty much all the same people in a sense so uh either proto hopi which could be anasazi but the anasazi probably were proto hopi so but that's a whole other 
um, segue in the rabbit hole. I, I like that rabbit hole, though. That's that's a good one. Yeah, that's a bit ongoing debate where they where they Hopi, where they before the Hopi, um, but most of that land it, it's kind of accepted that it was proto Hopi, and then of course you'll have um, I visited Three Rivers petroglyph site where you see boats, you know, you see actual petroglyphs of boats because the Hopi in that in this story that they're writing on the stones are saying that they traveled over the Pacific Ocean and they ended up in New Mexico and they drew pictures of boats and fish and lobsters and crabs and the, this site has been dated to at least a thousand if not 1,200 years old, but it's believed that it could even be older. So um, there's so much extensive history out there. And what's interesting about it all is that it's kind of all connected because some of the petroglyphs I saw in, in Easter Island, I saw in New Mexico, particularly at the Three Rivers site. And if the Hopi are saying they came over the Pacific, it's very possible that they stopped in Rapa Nui. And if they stopped in Rapa Nui, then there were the people were there people already in Rapa Nui? Were the people of Rapa Nui Hopi? Were the people of Rapa Nui the ones who came over? You know, so many questions that you that you have to ask um, because to see the similar petroglyphs, there's clearly, again, it's been a situation where these people were connected in some way, whether it be by visiting each other via boats or actually being part of the same group of people that just scattered throughout the globe. So um, it was an amazing trip, and um, uh, I'll never forget it. It was a, 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 one of the more fascinating components of Monument Valley, which is on a, um, where we went. It was an off-limit site. Um, it was the cube, which I had never seen. I've been to Monument Valley, I believe, three times before this. Um, and the cube was a massive cube, literally a cube. And I have pictures of it on my um, on my Twitter and I think Instagram and Facebook of this massive cube in the middle of the desert of, of this bright red on fire sandstone. It's just so beautiful. And it's a cube. And um, now, you know, dovetailing what Gregory Little has discovered in one of the mounds that he has um, uh, uncovered some information about. I don't recall what state it was in in the U.S., but it was in like the southern U.S., southeastern U.S., um, that he, that there, inside one of these mounds was a cube. Hmm. So that's very interesting. I'm always fascinated by cubes. I think there's sure. something to that shape. Um, well, the Kaaba also. I mean, the, probably the most exactly. famous cube in the world, right? Right. Well, maybe exactly. the Tesseract from the Marvel Universe, but, you know. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. It's very fascinating. And so that was another very interesting component in how it kind of ties into this whole mound culture. Or does it? I don't know. I don't either. I, I mean, there's definitely something to uh, universal symbology and cosmography and, and uh, mythos and ligos and, you know, or where it divides or how it divided or the, you know, that, that, you know, I'll never figure out. I don't know that anybody will for sure, but um, they're, they're, but uh, it's suffice to say there's certainly universal sy uh, symbols, but when there's, you know, when you get seven or eight of the same sort of universal symbol in different places, then, you know, you have to start to believe that there's a connection. I don't mean like the sun and a star and, you know, an arrow. I mean, right. you know, when you get, when you're getting more, you know, deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, we need a few more steps, but a few more letters between A, B, C, D, and X, Y, Z to get there. But, uh, but there are they. They're they're very sophisticated symbols and things like that. So I don't know. But yeah, I think everybody should read Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thou with a Thousand Faces and uh, uh, maybe uh, Harari's Sapiens and, uh, and a few other you know uh, right. books that uh, address stuff like that. Though I know that that Harari, his later stuff uh, or his more recent stuff, has you a little bit freaked out. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read it. Uh, I, I, I only read the one, and I could, I could see at the end it was sort of getting into like the sort of the science fiction, and then they we said, yeah, he's, he's transhumanism, isn't he? I'm like, like, it's like, yeah, maybe like three percent of the book, but it was the end, and then, then of course the suggestions come up, and they say, since you read this one, read this one, and so I, I think you were probably referring to the next one, which I, I haven't read, so now, now I'm a little bit afraid to, but uh, anyway, um. Enough about me. Let's get back to you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So, so, okay. So we did. So we covered the Southwest nicely. Um, and then I guess, uh, what have your discoveries been like in the Northeast? Um, you know, unless you have something else that's, uh, you know, more sort of on your your topics that you want to get out there that you're going to be working on. Well. Um, um uh, something well, the Northeast basically it's always you know the megalithic chambers which are still there. I sadly miss the winter solstice sunrise at one of the megalithic chambers where there's an alignment with the sun uh, rising on the uh, winter solstice. And um, I've been doing that hike to this chamber with a group of people I think for maybe ten years, and this was the first year I missed it. But that's okay because I got to see a megalithic alignment here in Aruba. So. Um, so yeah, the chambers, the new ones are being discovered every day by the same group of people. Um, they just discovered, I think, maybe six or seven more. I, I even think since the winter solstice, they discovered some more. And um, they're all the same construction. Some appear more modern than others. And they are uh, made of, you know, uh, of bluestone and of granite. Um, there's a lot of light effects that have been occurring when the light is hitting the back walls of these chambers. These chambers are sometimes built into the walls of hills or, um, or not. And they are huge, massive stones. For example, one of my favorite megalithic chambers in the back wall, there's a stone that's about the size maybe of like a, a VW, like beetle, like that, I mean, like th that enormous. And these stones were positioned, there's no mortar, and um, they often align to celestial events. And there's always been this debate how old are they and we don't know for sure because archaeologists refuse to research them thankfully a lot of them are off the beaten path so they're relatively protected but sadly um, more people are finding them getting to know where they are and um, some are even on private property and the owners are dismantling them or using them for other things um, such as storage it's uh, they're very interesting there's about 200 in new york i believe there are 500 in new england altogether going um i don't believe any have been found in maine but there, it goes to vermont new hampshire has a ton connecticut new york obviously new york has the largest concentration of them and um and connecticut does have a lot as well i recently before i left was at Gunjiwang, which is in Connecticut, and it's a huge megalithic complex of these massive chambers. 
and some have little hallways, light boxes. Um, they're clearly deeply um, uh, old and I think maybe thousands of years old. There are reports of the first Dutch coming over to New, uh, New York, Connecticut area and speaking with the population who were there at the time were the, who were the Native Americans and the, asking them, who built this? How did you build this? And they said, we didn't build this. This was here before we got here. So, um, so again, and this is something you hear about often. I went to Belize, and it's the same thing that when the when the um, when the explorers came and interacted with the Maya about some of the temple complexes, particularly the older ones, um, they said that they were there when they got there. So uh, it's it's again this common theme of who well who were they? You know, if it wasn't you, well then who was it? And and again, we don't know. Um, for example, in Lamini, Lamini is one of the oldest, and Belize one of the oldest uh, Mayan temple complexes. And some of the parts, it's just bizarre. You could tell it's so different from the rest of the places you'll see, even parts of Caracol or beyond antiquity. I mean, just so old compared to the newer parts. And then you ask, you know, who, well, who built them if it weren't the Maya? I mean, no one really knows, and the Maya don't know, and you can see the construction change, and that's the same way with even the the chambers. You know, you can see some of them have been, some of the chambers are trying to emulate the earlier chambers, you know, and you can always tell, even with Vinapu in, um, in Rapa Nui, you can see there's an, an Ahu, a platform, that is clearly, clearly older and more sophisticated than some of the consequential attempts at Ahu um, later on. And um, yeah, and I think, it's, again, it's all connected. It's this ancient uh, technology. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. It's a level of, of creating that we've lost. And um, so it's been quite interesting connecting all these dots because the more you travel and the more you see these places, the more you realize they're all connected. And, um, and you really have to see them, you know, and you really have to experience them. And they're all over, um, you know, everywhere in the United States, in every state, there is something of great antiquity that people are finding, even if they're just going out in their property and seeing something and then start observing walls, serpent walls, um, you know, uh, megalithic sites, petroglyphs, pictograms, and all these different things that people are discovering. And this is adding to the story and the story keeps getting more puzzling, quite frankly. Do you think that these, uh, I'll just call them mounds, I, I know in Asia they call them kurgans, um, that, uh, are, are these burial sites for human royalty? Do you think that they are for the giant royalty? We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts. Plus, it's temperature balancing, so you'll stay warm when the nights get a little colder. And right now, it's our President's Day special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. Visit the Mall in Columbia Sleep Number store today the priest's class and and the reason i'm differentiating priest and royalty 
is because in almost all of the ancient religions, the king of the gods always had a counselor of the gods. So I'm assuming that even if the religious, the, the, the religiosity, the, the, the mythology of, of religion came from, you know, another type of humanoid that was on earth, that it would mirror it. So that, that's why I'm doing that. But, uh, what, what forget about my thoughts. What are your thoughts on what these, are? I mean, obviously these, these were painstakingly done. They're very precise. As you noted that they have alignments. They're not all the same alignment. They're clearly not accidental where, uh, rocks and structures are put a very specific, um, and the shapes are, are meticulous and pristine. Um, so what's your working belief here? Yeah, well, in Grave Creek Mound, which is one of the largest mounds in, in North America, it's in West Virginia, it's in Moundville, West Virginia, actually. Um, if you see this, I mean, Moundville. It is <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and it's a great, that museum attached to it, um, is phenomenal and and it's a little bit out of the way um to get to but if you ever are in the area you must stop there it's absolutely beautiful i have pictures of it again on my social media it's so big so tall and there are archaeological reports of giant burials in there of actual giants of of people of large stature um some of them are mummified they have uh copper and they have um all these grave gifts and a lot of them have hamsa in, in them that which is the hand with the with the all-seeing eye in the center which is a common theme in some of the north american burials um i i have stumbled upon here in Aruba mounds mounds I just saw one today of shells shell the the archaeologists call them shell middens and say that they are the debris fields of when the um, ancient people would eat the shellfish they would toss their shells and and then it would create this midden and that's what they were calling it but I don't believe for a minute that they were just doing this in a, in a haphazard fashion and it was just a garbage pit and that's all it is first of all why wouldn't you throw it back into the ocean you know you're living on a small island why are you throwing it on the land it doesn't make sense why if you're eating this why don't you just put it back in the ocean it doesn't make any sense I mean the ocean's right there and these mounds one has been destroyed which it shouldn't be it's right next to the burial site here um but it's during the pandemic these <coughs> encroachment of of uh, uh of bulldozers came because it's in this coveted land where everyone wants to build a home um just destroyed this shell midden and a lot of the shells by the way are extinct shell species and uh, then there's another one that's still intact that has a sign that it's a protected site, but there's really no protection going on and the sea is encroaching further and further upon it. And then today where I was by this this giant boulder field with these dolmen and balanced stones, there are these, there's a shell midden. And what's interesting about this shell midden, it, it seems to only have a couple of different shell species involved in it. Um, so I, I have to go back and, and research this more. This was more of an exploratory trip, and then I'll be going back and really spending a lot of time there and, and, and sketching and taking some measurements because this to me was fascinating so in the whole area this open field there's nothing and then in the middle there's this huge mound and in this mound are these shells it's made up of shells um why were they using shells because they had shells here why yeah. do they use earth in in the united states because they had earth you know so sure. they, and they're all kind of a the same kind of a structure they almost appear like 
Mayan, like pyramid, Mayan pyramids. It's very strange. It's all of them are going up. You know, they're all going in a cone shape and moving upwards. And it's this whole, again, it's over and over through the globe. It's this concept of using this pyramid type shape and and going up towards the heavens, Um, which it's, again, it's fascinating. So now my new project here as well will be mapping where these shell mounds are because I started a mapping project of the balanced stones and a distinct pattern emerged. My next will be the mounds and also their location locations, why they are in certain places. So now we have one by a burial. Um, we have one by the sea. And now I found this one very far inland. And so I'll begin a mapping project with those as well. And hopefully next time we talk, I can have more information to give on the mounds found here. So what's in those mounds? I don't know. Are they burials? I don't know. But I know in North America, for sure, there have been giant burials within these mounds. Yeah, I am struggling with what to call this show. I don't know what the title is. I need to throw monkeys in there. I know mounds belong in there. Uh, shells fits mounds in. Mounds and monkeys. Yeah. Megaliths, mounds, monkeys, oh my. I don't know, but I use, I use that. I use that Wizard of Oz thing too much. I, 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 I admit I fall into overkill uh, way too much. It, uh, just for the sake of uh, clarification, earlier you said dolmens. I, I, you know, I believe I know what a dolmen is, but I don't want to assume everyone does. I mean, dolmens are like those the upright rocks, like in like you see in Stonehenge, right? Well, adult, that's more. Um, yeah, that's a right. Exactly. Okay, so it's two stones, and usually uh, two stones pointing upwards, and then there's usually a flat stone atop it, a capstone or, sort of, or a lintel, some I think yeah, something like, right, exactly. So, and um, you can see through it, there's an opening. So usually, for example, the dolmen I just um, discovered that had a summer solstice sunrise alignment, the sun, as it's rising, shines directly in between the two standing stones, yet under the flat stone that's on top of it. Right. So it's like making a little house, you know, in a sense, but it's with massive, massive boulders. Right. People are making um, a window box, but it's absent the rest of the building, and it's to capture a particular thing in a particular shape. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's I, making a window, and through that window, you usually see the sun, or um, in some cases, there could be um, registering a supermoon or the rise of Venus at a certain time of the year. Um, but this this particular dolmen and and I, I took my measurements, but literally I haven't had time. I just got back from the hike, so I'll have to look at all my measurements and see what exactly this is measuring. Measuring these these two, one is a dolmen and one is a balanced stone. The balanced stone, all the balanced stones here in Aruba are pointed, and they're always pointed in a different direction. So, and that wherever they're pointing, that's where they want you to look. So, um, whether it's to towards a burial site or towards another balanced stone or a mountain or um, petroglyph site there's always a reason or caves um, the stones are always pointing and you have to follow the stones to go to the next site which is actually quite ingenious right it, it always ends up that it has something to do with as above so is below we just have to right. figure out as what we're supposed to be seeing as above and trying to figure out what they're trying to tell us about below that's that, exactly. that, that tends to be the difference because not everybody saw those things the same way, the, the whatever was above, below the same exact way. But there, there's there's a fair amount of overlap. But like everything else, nothing's that simple. Not, not, right. not, nothing's that easy. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. that You know, the people are always going, I'm looking for the universal truth. Don't. You know, you're not, you're not going to find the universal truth. Just try to find out what 
they understand that they understand that. And, you know, if you want to draw a Venn diagram, you'll, you may have what the most common universal beliefs are that doesn't make it the objective truth. But if that's how you want to base your universal truth, that's as, probably as good a theory as any, I suppose. Um, but uh, the one universal truth that I have found after telling everyone you can't find a universal truth is that everything's about some sort of duality. What that duality, whether it's male, female, whether it's good, evil, whether it's chaos and order, whether it's law and order, justice and equity, fairness and, 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 you know, uh, you know, freedom and, and, you know, uh, a society, you know, there's always, there's always some love, hate, (laughs) whatever it is, you know, finding some sort of balance and, uh, uh, we haven't succeeded much at that in a in a very long time, if it if ever. I I really don't know. But <laughs> yeah, uh, and that and if that's the universal truth, stop thinking about it. It's depressing. Um, right. <laughs> that, 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 that's how people decide to become you know Hindus and Buddhists and just meditate and go. No, no, just don't worry about the suffering. You can't do anything about it. So think about something else. So yeah. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on right now. So, so what? What do you want to leave us with? What else do you want to tell us? What else do you want to promote? Is there something that that I didn't give you a chance to talk about that you that you absolutely should talk about? Yeah, no, I think we've covered everything. Um, I just um, hope that everyone uh, watches my social media because I'm going to be starting to present a lot of the information about these mound sites because I think they're fascinating. And um, the fact that now I found this new one that's enormous today um, and with these certain types of literally extinct fossils, um, super far inland is really intriguing uh as well as another dolmen um this is the second one i found in the caribbean um but and then i'll be rolling out my my short um little blurbs or on my sub stack so i hope that everyone will be reading those and i'll be teasing them on my social media and hopefully next year i'll be in london or wherever for the Nephilim Anthropology Conference, if it's in Scotland or somewhere in Europe, and um, hopefully, yeah, me too. Hopefully, sort of craziness will be finally over there, and um, that'll be really exciting. And I and I can't wait for that. And I'm I'm looking forward to um, really talk about some of the new evidence I'm finding while I'm here. And um, also, we'll be doing a trip to Bonaire, so um, that's always in, intriguing and fun. And I'll be posting a lot about that too. Yeah, people pay to see Heather, knowing that you're subsidizing my trip to Scotland. Uh, that, that <laughs> it's important that, that the conference has enough funds to fly me to Scotland. Why they want me there, I'm not sure. It's our secret. I don't think I add any value. Don't tell anyone. I still want to go. Heather, you told them to follow you on the social media. But what social media and how do they find you? Do you have a particular handle? Do you just go under your name? How and How and what places can and should they follow you? So they can follow me on Heather L. Arnold on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Also, um, I have the Islands of the Giants on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. So those are my two handles and um, and 
my substack will be launching soon. And Stones, Bones, and... And my group, Stones, Bones, and the Paranormal, which yeah. is where I try to really focus on independent researchers' work, as well as um, studies, anthropological, archaeological studies and reports that have been released of new information, generally information that we, as independent researchers, have known for years, and now the experts are just catching up. And, um, yeah, just a lot of, um, if you're an independent researcher, uh, that that's definitely a place to please post your discoveries because that's really what it's for. And, um, and with the stones and the bones, particularly the stones, generally there's some paranormal activity around them. Uh, I found that in, uh, with the megalithic sites in uh, New York, the northeastern U.S., out west in the U.S., as well as here um, in Aruba. And um, so that's why the paranormal part kicks in, and whether it be orbs or some sort of light beings, um, that's all there too. So, yes, that's my group, Stones, Bones, and the Paranormal. That's great. I, I, I do love that there's always sort of paranormal there. And, and uh, I, I'm sure there's something very normal, not paranormal, about we just don't quite understand what it is yet, exactly. uh, which is fine. Um, but I, you know, anybody who listens to Garden Known, I am very open to the prospect that it's aliens. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely down with that. And, and if the aliens are listening, yes, I still will collaborate. Of course I will. Um, yes, let's hedge our bets if, if they exist. Yeah, I guess. Oh, no, I'm not hedging any bets. I'm, I'm, I'm pledging my fealty right now. Uh, it, it's been unabated if you're listening. Uh, if not, tell your friends, please. Five-star reviews. <laughs> Thank you, aliens. Um, anyway. Heather, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for bearing with me going through. If, if the audience thinks I seem a little bit more delirious than usual, I am battling the flu. I, it seems like I might have given it to Heather like across like 2,500 miles or however far away we are over, over cyberspace because she's been coughing a little bit too. So I, th I thank her for that. Uh, and I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, to follow her on all of those places, the, the, her group is very interesting. I'm I'm part of Stones, Bones, and Paranormal. I'm sure the others are fascinating too. I follow her on regular f Facebook. Uh, I'm a little bit social media out, uh, meaning not that I'm tired of it, meaning that I'm on enough places. Um, but those of you, you should follow her everywhere. Check out all her stuff. I'm telling you, she's she posts with Greg Little. She posts with uh, Graham Hancock. I'm pretty sure I've seen Randall Carlson there in the back. I know that you've been on Cliff Dunning's show at least once in the last year um, and in the past as well. And I'm sure you're doing the rounds everywhere else. So uh, best of luck on your continued research. Best of luck on the Substack. Uh, and, and yes, I very much hope that we do meet in person at some point preferably in Edinburgh, Scotland, of the conferences. Not because I wouldn't love to meet you anywhere else, but I, you know, the, 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 the free trip is really, you know, that, that's, it, that's, if, if, if I couldn't be more blatant and pirate and mercenary than that, 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 I mean, it's, it's really all about the free trip to, to Europe or mostly not all. It's like only like 93.4%. Um, all right. Any, any, uh, final thoughts? No, thank you so much for having me on. As always, it's always a pleasure, Jeff, and I look forward to meeting you in person. We've been talking together virtually for two years now, so it'll be, or was it longer? I don't even know, maybe it's, three. It, yeah, it's three years. Um, yeah, so I, I look forward to meeting you, and I hope you feel better. 
Thank you. I'm sure listen, I will. I get this every year. It's, it'll be fine. Um, all right. Thanks very much. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. And like we said, follow Heather. And please also follow the show. And, uh, and if you like what you heard for the first time, go back, check out the back catalog. Almost none of these shows are time sensitive. Give us a nice rating, a five-star review. Tell your friends and refer us. And we will. you'll hear from us again next week on The Garden of Doom.